Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this message number five in this series about Mystery Babylon. Now, I hope you've been following along on this. If you haven't, uh, go back to our website and look at impactministries.com under our video selection there, uh, Cyber Church selection, about, about the series Mystery Babylon. And all of these videos are there for you to watch anytime that you want to, to use them in your home Bible studies, to use them in your church groups, however you want to use them in whatever way they will be a blessing to you. Now, today we're talking about communion with the harlot. Now, the purpose of communion, kind of interesting, if you go to most church services and they're planning to have a communion service, uh, there's not much similarity between the church services and what the Apostle Paul describes as a communion service. Because in a communion service, you know, the word communion, which is the same as the word fellowship, it comes from the Greek word koinonia. And the koinonia is where two or two or more people come together and they share equally what only really belongs to one of them. Now, communion is where we become one with that which Jesus has done, that which he has accomplished, who he is, uh, the covenant that he established with God. And that's usually not what happened in communion. Uh, in communion, there's some vague references to the blood and the body of Jesus. There are, uh, you know, several biblical references, but uh, most communion services very often can turn very negative. Nobody intends for them to, I don't think, because it ends up that a communion service becomes a negative, uh, introspective service of you trying to figure out if you have sin in your life. You know, from a, as a new believer, first time I ever took communion, I will never forget Number one, the church where I was taking communion would not allow you to take communion if you were not uh, a member of that denomination, which made no sense to me because I thought this was about Jesus. I didn't know it was about being a member of a particular denomination. And uh, and so, you know, when they would come to the part about uh, taking uh, communion in an unworthy manner, they'd say, now, you need to search your heart. You need to see if there's any sin in your life. And if there is, you need to get rid of it, because if you don't, God's going to kill you, because you'll be taking the communion unworthily. Well, what's interesting, in those scriptures that Paul talks about communion, he says that a man should examine himself before he partakes. Now, in the Greek, that word examine means you examine yourself to find yourself approved. Why are you approved? You're approved because you have been washed in the blood. You're approved because he has broken his body and shed his blood and made you clean and given you the gift of righteousness. So communion is supposed to be that place where we come together and and we celebrate and we connect with every way possible, being one with Jesus, sharing every aspect of what he accomplished for us through the death, burial, and resurrection. So, you know, honestly, I think one one of the greatest things that we miss in 
uh, and our development as believers is the fact that Jesus became one with the Father, and he, his ever belief, everything that he taught, every miracle that he worked, was a reflection um, of exactly what God would do if God was walking the streets of Jerusalem or whatever city he happened to be in. Jesus said, the words I speak, they're not mine, they're the Father's. Uh, he said, the deeds that I do, they're not mine, they're just the things that I have seen the Father do. And so we are supposed to be doing that, and communion is one of those places where we go back and connect to who we are in Jesus, what we have in Jesus. And uh, and really, uh, in our communion services over the years, that's where people got healed, that's where people, broken hearts got healed, physical ailments uh, were healed, all kinds of phenomenal things were happening. By the way, you can go to my website, impactministries.com, and we have an entire full communion service uh, on there, and you can partake in it for free. You can use it, like I say, you can use it in private. You can use it your, in your home group or your church or, or wherever you want to use it. Now, what's really interesting is that, of course, in communion, you have a cup, and that cup is going to have wine or grape juice or whatever your group uses, but the key thing is not whether or not that is blood or isn't blood or turns into blood, doesn't turn to blood. The key thing is you use that drink to remind yourself of the blood of Jesus and think about all the benefits that the blood of Jesus brings to you. Well, we've been talking about Mystery Babylon, and Mystery Babylon, it was seen in a revelation brought to the apostle John as the great harlot. And uh, like I said, if you've been listening to this series, if you've been going along with this, you've been learning more and more and more about Mystery Babylon, about the harlot, who the harlot is. And um, you know in Revelation 17, when it talks about the harlot, there's a couple of interesting thing that, things that really come out. Revelation 17, 2 talks about this harlot, and it says, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, fornication and adultery are where you become one either physically and are emotionally with another person. We'll look at that in just a moment. Look at the scripture that, that talks about that. And so this cup that the, that the harlot is drinking from, let me read this, just so we'll get this. And then verse four says that she has in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Remember, the fornication is the act of becoming one. And then verse 6 says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So she's drinking a cup, and it is a communion cup filled with blood. And uh, it says that all the kings of the earth, all the nations of the world, all the inhabitants uh, of the earth have been made drunk with this blood of her fornication. And so there's some mystical way, very obviously here, that the human race takes communion with this great harlot and becomes drunk on the blood that's in this cup. But what, what does that mean, to become drunk on this blood? Well, it means, uh, same thing, it means to become intoxicated if you drink too much alcohol, where, where suddenly you you think differently, you, you're not as perceptive, you start making compromises that you normally would not make. And uh, uh, all the attributes of physical drunkenness happen to us. The only difference is they happen now more emotionally, more spiritually, 
And we end up participating in things that we normally would not participate in. But the key thing that we need to understand is this. There is a way where we drink from the blood that's in this cup, and that makes us one with the harlot. We, we, we start taking on her attributes. We start buying into whatever it is that she is offering to the world. And, uh, uh, and we connect ourselves in a spiritual way which can take us into incredibly deep bondage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, Paul says, I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Well, you don't want to have fellowship with demons. I don't want to have fellowship with demons. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. You know, we, we read scriptures like this, and we just kind of let them slide by. We really don't, we really don't grasp fully what they're talking about. But Paul is implying here that there is evidently some way that we can take communion with demons. We can take communion in, in a spiritual sense. And uh, in this case, we're talking about with the great harlot who is seducing the entire world and who is able to have some kind of mystical spiritual influence that affects everybody in the world to some degree. Now, in 1 John 2, let me remind you of this. We've read this scripture several times. Uh, uh, it, it tells us this. It says, do not love the things of the world. Now, that word love is always important to see which word is being used for love when, you, when you're studying these scriptures. Because that word for love is, is the word agape. And the word agape uh, means to value something, to consider it precious, to hold it in high regard. So he says, you don't need to have value for the world's system. Now, if you listened to the first message in this series, you discovered that the great harlot uh, is the spiritual deception upon which the uh, entire world's system was established. And the entire world system is any aspect of uh, religion, any aspect of business, any aspect of science, anything that is in contradiction to the Word of God, anything that is designed to seduce you and offer you substitutes or replacements for what God has offered you through the Lord Jesus. And so, you know, people who, for example, people who don't want to have love the way God describes love, they're going to find another way. They're going to find a substitute. It could be sex. It could be prostitution, you know, whatever. Uh, there's all these ways. We have ways of substituting uh, the kind of joy that you can have in the Lord with, with some other type of pleasure. And uh, all of these things are designed to seduce us and uh, draw us away from God and draw us into the world system whereby we become one, one heart, one mind, one body with the world system. And we become so captivated by that system that we are seduced. We're drunk. We can't see where we are. We don't grasp why our life isn't working. We, don't, we just don't understand all the moving parts. So it says, do not value or consider precious the things of the world. If anyone values the world or considers the world, and it's talking about the world system, it's not talking about this clump of dirt floating around in outer space. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Now, that is a powerful, powerful statement. Now, love is something that works from your heart. And when you understand the dynamics of the heart, you understand that there are two kinds of seed that can grow in your heart. The heart is considered the soul, and there's the seed, which is the word of the kingdom. Uh, and really, any anything, everything that you hear, everything that you take in, all information you take in really, in fact, is uh, a, a seed of some form. But all seeds break down to two categories, and that is that is the word of the kingdom, and then there is the word of the world's system. And so the word of the kingdom bears fruit. Whatever seed you plant in your heart is going to determine what grows in your life. And so if we plant the word of the kingdom in our heart and it begins to grow, then it begins to produce fruit after its own kind. But if we plant seeds in our heart, that's after the world system, these are the seeds that grow the thorns and that grow the thistles, and they choke the word of God out. They, they make it impossible for the word of God, particularly the word of the kingdom, to grow in your heart. And so this is why so many people uh, are so desperate for God, and maybe they're going to church, maybe they're uh, maybe they're reading their Bible, maybe they're doing a lot of things, but what they meditate on is actually determining what's going to grow in their heart and is going to determine with whom and with what they become one. If we're, see, whenever we take the seed into our heart, one of the things that Jesus taught us in the parable of the sower is that uh, with the measure we meet, it's measured unto us. And to him who has, more is given. To him who doesn't have, he loses what he does have. And the idea here is, based on the language and based on a lot of other scriptural principles, the idea is when you receive the word of God, the degree of thought and study and meditation and pondering uh, and reflection that you put on into this, and even the, the, the amount of prayer and seeking God that you put into this is going to nurture that seed. It's going to determine what grows into your heart. Now, that works whether you're meditating, pondering, thinking about, and reflecting on uh, the kingdom principles or whether or not you're thinking on the world's principles. If you're pondering and thinking on, on how to prosper according to the world, if you're thinking about how you can find sexual gratification according to the world, all these things that we ponder, either of the kingdom or of the world system, uh, cause fruit to grow into our life. But even more devastating than all of that, it causes us to become one with whichever system we're pondering on and thinking about. And and that just nurtures the thorns and the thistles or nurtures nurtures the fruit of, of the kingdom of God. And so you only in your heart, there are certain things in your heart that cannot grow together. This is, you know, the typology of this from the, from the Old Testament. It tells you not to plant two different kinds of seeds in the same furrow. Now, again, the typology of that is if you if you plant two different kinds of seed in the same furrow, one seed is going to choke out or dominate the other seed. If you plant a little bit of the kingdom of God in your heart and a whole lot of the world system in your heart, the world system is going to choke out everything that you're trying to hold in your heart uh, about the kingdom of God. And you just can't understand. I'm reading my Bible. You know, I'm praying. I'm going to church. Why is it that I just never seem 
to make any headway. Why is it that, that, that my life never seems to work in a way that the Bible teaches that it should work? Well, it's because you may be planting good seed in your heart, but you're also planting thorns and thistles in your heart. And then the question becomes, which one am I nurturing? Which one do I ponder? Which one do I think about? Which one do I do I look to to, to, to have hope for the things that I desire for my life and for my family and, you know, and satisfaction and all those kinds of things. And so if you're planting the seeds of the world system in your heart, then the word of the kingdom cannot grow in your heart. If you value the things of the world, you cannot value the father. You may try to pretend like you do, but you'll be in that situation where Jesus talked about, uh, uh, talked about how that if you have the love of mammon in your heart, you know, you'll end up with two masters. You'll be part of you will be feeling obligated to serve God. And the other part of you will want to serve mammon. And mammon is more than just money. Mammon is about the greed that drives your attitude toward money and toward wealth and toward prosperity and toward success. You know, back in the days of the of the prosperity message, and you know, I, I haven't been around many of those people in a long time. But basically, that entire movement was built on, on greed. Now, I'm not saying everybody that participated in it did it from greed, but I, I never found anybody in any of those meetings. And, you know, I did meetings. I didn't teach the stuff of those people at all. I did meetings with some of the most famous people in America that capitalized on the prosperity message. And what's interesting, I never one time heard any of those guys preach about generosity. I never met anybody that was praying uh, to become more generous. Uh, everybody was just praying about and preaching about getting more, getting more, getting more. Well, that's you know that what that's the world system. Get more, get more, get more, and you'll get happier, happier, happier. No, no, you won't. You absolutely will not. But anyhow, I don't want to go too far down down that path. But uh, Second Corinthians. Let's go to Second Corinthians six and verse fourteen. And we're just going to read a passage of scripture, and we're going to talk about this passage of scripture as to how it applies to um, who we commune with, who do we become one with, and what is the effect that it has on us. Now, by the way, let me mention, before I jump into this, I have an incredible audio series uh, that uh, supports this message on Mr. Babylon. Now, I always create audio series to support these video series. Now, they are not exact overlaps. I try to put enough diverse, valuable information in the video series, which the entire thing is always free online, so that if you don't want to invest or, or you don't have the money to invest, you're still going to be able to get everything that you need uh, to make this journey. But if you're like me, anytime I find something that's speaking to my heart, I'm going to get, I'm going to get the book, I'm going to get the, the series, I'm going to listen to it, I'm going to ponder it, I'm going to meditate on it. And so people who are more serious or maybe feel drawn to dive deeper into a particular subject, uh, definitely want to get the audio. So you, you can purchase the audio. And by the way, when you purchase these audio series from us, this is how we finance what we're doing all over the world. We have a project we call Operation One Billion. We are committed to raising up a one billion disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ all around the world. And we are, we've been doing it for years. We really don't even know right now how many Bible schools are functioning around the world. Uh, but we know how many are reporting back. We know, you know, we have a lot of information, 
but uh, uh, we know that if we can start 600 Bible schools uh, around the world, that in about 12 years, we can have a billion disciples. So uh, every, time, every time you purchase a series, you make an investment in yourself. You make an investment in the kingdom of God. You make an investment in this ministry so we can take the message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. So check it out. Download it tonight. And man, you can you can jump right in and, and, and follow the audio series as you're following this video series. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, normally when we read this, it always amazes me. Uh, I have done an incredible amount of premarital counseling. Uh, in, in my nearly 50 years of ministry. Actually, by the time you see this, it probably uh, it probably was already past the 50-year mark. And uh, and people read this verse, and they're sitting there in a pre-counseling uh, office with me. And, you know, you talk about their compatibility, they immediately will go to this verse, say, well, we're both believers. And, uh, you know, th this is not about whether both of you are saved or not. It's about whether or not you are in step with each other, whether or not you're walking in harmony with each other. And so, you know, you can be a believer, and this person can be a believer, but if you don't have the same values, then the real truth is you're going to be in conflict all the time because you're not going to be yoked together. But even beyond that, when you bring this into context, this is not just talking about who you date. This is not just talking about who you marry. This is talking about who you fellowship with, who you commune with. Uh, who who do you connect with? Who do you spend time with? Now, this, of course, the word yoke, anytime you see the word yoke, it has to do with getting in sync with someone or getting in harmony with someone. So this whole text starts out, uh, or this whole context starts out with, with, we do not want to be yoked up with anybody whose beliefs will cause us to keep stumbling. You, you, when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, because it's easy and light easy and light. It's not easy and light if you're not in step together. You know, we don't try to get Jesus to get in step with us. The goal is for us to sync up and get in step with him so that he can carry the weight of the load and we can experience the benefits of it. But it goes on to say, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Now, this is so very important. If you've been paying attention through this series, um, when you think about the opposite of righteousness, more than anything, the concept of lawlessness, or as the King James says, iniquity, actually presents the two opposites of the spectrum. There's righteousness where you are harmonizing with God. There's lawlessness where you are harmonizing uh, with the world system. And uh, this word for fellowship here in the Greek is not the word koine uh, of two becoming one, but it's just the sharing of ideas. You know, we send our kids to secular schools from now, from kindergarten to postgraduate education. Everything that they hear is deliberately designed to destroy any confidence in God. They are taught scientific information that not only is not factual, uh, the people who write the textbooks know that it's not factual. We know that Darwinian evolution is bizarre. It doesn't, it doesn't have a shred of scientific proof to it, but in most states, it's against the law to teach anything else when it comes to creation. And we, we can't, we're amazed that we lose our kids. We take them to 
We take them to Sunday school classes where really all they do is, try, is have fun and try to keep them entertained. They don't really learn the Bible. They don't learn to pray. We really don't teach them any, any life lessons at home. We don't teach them values. And uh, so, so they're, they're getting, you know, maybe, maybe 30 minutes a, a week with a, a watered down message. And then they're getting eight hours a day of antichrist indoctrination and they learn to become lawless. Listen, all of this stuff that's happened in America and around the world over the last two years is happening for one reason. This is the first generation that from kindergarten through uh, graduate programs, everything has been anti-God, anti-Bible, pro-socialism, pro-communism, pro-lawlessness. And because they're in these classrooms, and they're, they're having ideas shared with them that promote rebellion against God. Now, you don't call it rebellion against God, you call it science. Uh, you don't, you know, you, you use different terminology because this is not a head-on violent attack against the gospel as much as it is a seductive attack where you are offered uh, alternatives, if you will, to the Word of God. It goes on to say, and what communion has light with darkness? Now, this word for communion here is the word we're, we're talking about two people becoming one. Light and darkness cannot become one, but somehow we think that we can send our kids to school. We think that we think that we can watch light porn on soft porn on, on television, and that somehow or another this is not going to affect us. Well, you know, the Bible says all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, the lust of the eyes is a very powerful thing. The things that we watch, as a matter of fact, uh, Lot, was he, when he was in Sodom, a lot, it says his righteous soul was vexed day by day by the things that he heard and by the things that he saw. We have to be really careful about what we allow, allow ourselves to see because of what it does in our imagination. Verse 15 says, and what accord has Christ with Bilal? Bilal refers to uh, an attribute of Satan called worthlessness. So how can we, you know, how can we uh, connect to Christ? How can we make our lives fruitful when in so many areas of our life, we're investing in that which is worthless? And what part uh, has a believer with an unbeliever? In other words, what do we share in together? Verse 16, and what agreement, or in other words, uh, how can you become one mind with you being the temple of God and the world and the unbelievers being uh, the temple uh, of Satan, if you really want to know the truth? And verse 16, or excuse me, it says, for you are the temple of God, and as God has said, I will dwell among them, and I will walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, God is calling us to be one with him, and as we become one with him, as we invest in our heart, then we commune with him. Everything that we do is about connecting with him, uh, being a part of who he is, and, but, but if we go out here and defile ourselves with immorality, perversion, dishonesty, uh, poor ethics, poor, you know, all of these kinds of things, then the real truth is we will never grow in grace. We will never, ever, ever become stable in our faith. And at some point in time, we will probably throw our faith away. Uh, so 
in this series, one of the things that we're having to realize, just like in verse 17 here, it's a repetition of what it says in the book of Exodus about us coming out of the world, and it says, come out from among them and be separated. That means to have boundaries, says the Lord. You know, we are in the world, but we do not want to be of the world. And so I want to help you make this journey of coming out of the world, uh, breaking his power over you, and you being one with Jesus so you benefit all that the kingdom of God has to offer you. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.